Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Good morning, Harvest. And uh, today we're going to continue our Church at Home series. And this week's theme is the temple. And hopefully everyone got a chance to, to watch the video. Um, and even if you haven't, I would just really say that even after service or even during this week, um, take a look at the video. It's not too long, maybe four or five minutes. Uh, but it's just really helpful, uh, not just for the sermon, but also just even in our own walk with Jesus to even understand this theme of temple that spans the whole Bible. And I think, um, you know, I'm a... I'm a professed fanboy of the Bible Project, but I just really enjoy how the Bible Project really shows how the whole Bible really is this unified story that leads to Jesus. And uh, these videos are just super helpful in that. So don't just take my word for it, though, um, you know, obviously being a fanboy, but, but just check it out for yourself, and I'm sure you won't be disappointed. So for this morning, uh, the approach that I'd like to take with this theme of temple, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. I know that and sometimes in the past, uh, you know, either PD or POFO um, or Dr. Steve have approached this, these themes kind of holistically and talked about uh, just in more depth these themes. But I just felt like today as I was preparing uh, for this message, that God just really gave me a, a specific passage that I'd like to apply this theme of temple to. Um, And this passage is actually from Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 17. And I'll be reading uh, from the ESV. And they came to Jerusalem, and he, that is Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, before getting into how this theme of temple really applies to this passage, I'd like to first just talk a little bit about the context of, of these verses in Mark Uh, chapter 11, verses 15 to 17. At the beginning of chapter 11, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And this actually marks, um, you know, the last week of his life. But really, Mark has been really building this anticipation to Jesus entering into Jerusalem. You know, he's Jesus, at the beginning of Mark, people were asking, who is this? Who is Jesus? You know, is he the Son of God? Is he the Messiah? And there's all these questions. But a lot of the religious leaders actually took offense at what Jesus was teaching and who Jesus even said he was. And so throughout Mark, you see this building of animosity and everything. And it really culminates now when Jesus enters in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem really is the capital of Judea, of the nation of Jews. And really, it's the center, politically and religiously, of God's people during this time. And as he enters in Jerusalem, on his first full day, he decides to go to this temple. And I don't think that's a mistake. Jesus knew that he really wanted to address how the Jews saw the temple 
on his very first day in Jerusalem. And that's because the temple itself was just a very important piece of the Jewish people's identity as a people and as um, people who worship God. The, the temple was at the center of it all. And Jesus specifically goes to so that he could really teach and show people what the temple really is versus how they saw the temple. And as I was thinking about this, I'm just trying to help us understand this importance of this building, the temple in Jerusalem. I was thinking, well, what's something, a building today that has that kind of significance or importance? And I tried to explain it last time, um, you know, one of my previous sermons. I don't think I did a very good job. So this time I'm going to try a different, <laughs> a different example. Uh, this time I'd like to say that the temple is something like Wrigley Field. Um, so this is a picture of Wrigley Field. And if you are a Cubs fan, which I wouldn't say I am, I like the Cubs, but, you know, I, I don't really like baseball as much, so I'm more of a football fan. But, but this picture of Wrigley Field um, really is, you could say, the mecca, if you will, of Cubs fans, right? That if any company or organization came in and bought Wrigley Field and they tried to change the name, I think Cubs fans everywhere would be in uproar. Um, sorry, Sox fans, uh, for, for what you had to go through. But, you know, Wrigley is at the center of the identity of Cubs fans. And, you know, if there was a different building or anything, it just wouldn't be the same for, for people who watch the Cubs and love the Cubs. And Wrigley Field has all these memories of even them watching games when they were growing up and just has all this history for, for, Cubs, for the Cubs franchise and for the Cubs fans. And this is how the Jews felt about the temple. I mean, it was part of their identity as Jews. And it was the most important building for them as a people. And not just even for them as, a, um, as politically, but also religiously. And so here we can see that Jesus enters into the temple. And here we can also see that what does he do? So let's look again at this passage, verses chapter, uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 17. And you can see here that Jesus, in verse 17, says this, it is, not, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And so you can see from this statement that Jesus sees the temple differently than some of these Jews who are the money changers and the pigeon sellers. So really to get an understanding of what this difference is and why that's important, let's just first talk about these money changers and pigeon sellers. And so uh, it's really important to note that at this time, that, these, uh, that they're, when you go to the temple to worship, there was animal sacrifice involved. You had to either have like a bull or oxen, sheep or pigeons to really give as an offering to God, as burnt offerings, so that it, as part of the religious ceremony that the Jews had to do uh, for many different reasons. And so these animals were an integral part of the Jewish part of how they worshiped God at this time. But the other thing to also remember is that Jews traveled long distances to worship at the temple. This was one building in Jerusalem in a city, and many Jews lived in many different parts of, this, of Judea, of, of this country. And not only that, but many other Jews actually probably lived outside of Judea. And so they traveled very long distances to get to this temple. And so even at, even at that time, and maybe even today, like when you travel long distances, it's hard to bring you know, animals with you. 
I'm sure those guys, are, there's this huge influx of people who have bought puppies and, and pets, you know, because of COVID. I'm sure it, it, when you have to travel to different places, you have to think about how do you care for this animal as you go. Even more so back then, it's even harder without cars and things like that. If they brought animals with them, and especially long journeys that could take months, uh, these animals could die. Uh, it would take all this food that they'd have to extra to take with them. And so many people who traveled to Jerusalem to visit the temple wouldn't take their animals for a sacrifice with them. And so this is where the money changers and the pigeon sellers come in, right? For them, they were, you know, from their point of view, they were providing a necessary service uh, to those that were worshiping God. They were able to, for exchange of money, allow people to buy bulls and oxen and sheep and pigeons so that they could worship God at the temple. You know, even for them, they were making worship more efficient in that way, right? So to them, they saw the temple as this religious organization that they were supporting, you know, and they were making their living off of, but they were playing an important part of it, right? They were part of that economy. Even though they weren't part of the temple itself, only the priests and the religious leaders could be a part of the temple, but they were on the periphery, supporting it, giving, you know, allowing people to buy the animals that they needed to sacrifice and to give offering to God. But then to Jesus, Jesus saw the temple very differently. And if you watch the video, Jesus saw the temple as a place where heaven and earth overlapped. It's a place where God's space and our space intersects. It's a place where people could enter into God's very presence. You know, and I, when reflecting on this, I think it's really important, like the video kind of pointed out, that this temple really points back to the Garden of Eden. In the garden, humans could be with God in a way that's unthinkable today. Adam and Eve were without sin and connected with God in the most intimate and deepest of ways. There is a wholeness to their relationship with God and with each other. There is no mistrust or shame or any barriers of brokenness between them. And this is why the temple was so important to Jesus, that it was a microcosm of Eden. It pointed back to the way things were supposed to be. And this is why Jesus was so angry and he drove out the money changers and the pigeon sellers out of the temple. You know, by treating the temple just as, just only as a religious organization, even though it was, but if that was the only way to treat it, then they were treating something that was infinitely sacred and making it something about just about money or just about making a living off of something that they would use for their own agenda. God's presence wasn't something to make money off of. It wasn't something to give you more power over people. God's presence was meant for everybody who is willing to live under his authority and to participate in his will for this world. So now that we kind of explored a little bit about how the temple theme really applies to this passage, I'd like to spend more time unpacking, well, how does this passage then apply to us today? And so when thinking through this passage today, I think sometimes it's good to first think about, well, how do I, how have I in the past applied this passage to myself? Or in reading this, how is my understanding, my old understanding, how it usually is? 
And I think, you know, I've read Mark many times, and I preached through all of Mark at my previous church. And it's so interesting. I've always understood this passage to be about prayer. You know, I thought Jesus was teaching us about the importance of prayer and how as Christians we could be praying more and for the nations and these things like that. And really that all stems from verse 17, right? You know, if Jesus says that God's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, uh, then we're he's calling us to pray, right? To pray for all nations. And while that's important, uh, I don't want to you know, minimize that fact, but I think really I didn't take into account when it, even my own understanding, this importance of the temple and the significance to this passage. And so with all that said, this passage really isn't the primary focus of this passage or meaning behind it or how do we apply it isn't really about prayer. So if this passage isn't about prayer, then what is it about? And again, this is where this, again, the theme of temple really helps in this and really going deeper into this meaning and how this passage applies for us today. So in the video, we saw that the temple points back to Eden. But it not only this theme doesn't always just point back to Eden, but this theme actually also points forward. It's, this theme is really about this greater understanding of the location of God's presence throughout human history. right? So to put it another way, the theme of temple starts with the Garden of Eden. And then you know this, this perfect presence with God and humans and even this human relationship with each other, there's a wholeness there. And then because of the fall, like something needs to be done. And so then God's presence now is with the tabernacle and Moses. And, and that's why there's so many uh, chapters about the details of the tabernacle. Uh, because of the importance, because it really does point back to Eden. And then uh, the, it's a temple, or then we have the temple, which is the next stage, right? And that, again, you know, is before it points back to the tabernacle, then points back to Eden. But then today, what really it talks about, God's presence is located with the church. And let me say that again. God's presence is now located with the church. And if you, if you pause and think about this, this is truly, truly amazing. You know, looking back at the Bible, like Moses in the burning bush, right? That he was in God's very presence. That, and that same presence can be with us today at the church. Or even Isaiah, when he was in God's presence, he cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And woe is me, I am a man of uncleanness. That same presence is with us today as a church. Or even Jesus, when he is transfigured on this mountaintop with Peter and John and James. And you see God in his full glory and saying, this is my son, whom I love, listen to him. That same presence of God is with us today as a church. And we can see this even throughout the New Testament. A lot of the New Testament writers, this is one of the things that they emphasize or talk about as they talk about the church. We can see in, in, with Peter here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and I'll read that for us in the ESV. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And can we see here that Peter is 
picturing us, each, all of us individually as living stones, which is a pretty cool picture. But each of us as living stones are being put together, and Jesus as the cornerstone, as this whole temple, as a spiritual house where God's spirit is, where his presence is. And that's, that's pretty amazing. But also, Paul talks about this, not just Peter. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Here Paul is being even more specific, right? He's saying that we're all being joined together and growing into a holy temple, which is the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So let me say this again. The location of God's presence is the church. And for some of us, as we hear this, it could seem pretty unrealistic. You know, like we look at the church today and we see a lot of its brokenness. And I'm sure many of us has experienced that brokenness firsthand from previous churches that we've been to. And maybe that's why we've came to Harvest. But even for some of us at Harvest who have been at Harvest for a very long time, maybe we feel frustrated or maybe we feel disappointed even at Harvest as a church. And we don't really see God's presence here, even as we come on Sundays, watch it on YouTube, as, or even come to different events or activities. We don't really see God's presence here at Harvest as a church. And I don't want to sugarcoat this. What the church could be isn't always what the church is. What the church could be isn't what always is what the church is. But I firmly believe that God is still at work with this church. And I firmly believe that in these New Testament letters of the apostles and people, that they too experience that the church, what, it, what the church is, wasn't always what it could have been. But they still believed and still experienced God working, even in the midst of brokenness and even in the midst of, of disappointment. And so I just wanted to encourage us that even though God's presence doesn't always feel like it's right here with us as a church or even at the previous churches that we've been at, but that God is still at work. He is doing more than what we can see. And so in this work that God is doing in us, as a, in us and as a church to be a place of God's presence, what can we do to join in his work? You know, and... Exploring this question, I think it's important to also think about not only how we can join, but how we even view church itself. You know, especially for maybe some of us that have become disappointed or kind of jaded toward the church. I think in, in some of those ways, we can be like the money changers or the pigeon sellers, that we could be viewing church just as a religious organization. You know, and, you know, I, I'm not saying that we're using it for our own monetary purposes or that we're trying to, you know, live off of the church. Although, you know, technically I, I do live off of <laughs> the churches. Uh, by all your generous donations, you know, through tithe and things like that. Um, but, but for a lot of us who, you know, are part of 
harvest as a church. I think we can sometimes slip into viewing harvest just as a religious organization. And I think here are some ways I feel like that we can do this. Has church become just a weekly activity for as long as I attend, it's good enough? right? Or has church become about getting things done so I can focus on something more important or more exciting after I'm done with my church responsibilities? Or has church become a place where as long as I do what is expected of me, then I'm good? You know, and I, I share these things because even as I was preparing this message for us today, I felt the conviction that God was even helping me reflect on how I have also viewed church this way. You know, and, and to confess, I think even this second question of, has church been more about getting things done? And I, I feel like that's been something that God's been reminding me about, that even as a pastor, sometimes I feel like it's about just asking people to get certain things done and not really even thinking about where they're at or caring for them. Or sometimes even on Sundays, as long as I get everything done, I'm excited to check my fantasy football team and see how they did. Um, and then as I check them, you know, usually they don't do as well as I hoped. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's fantasy football. I don't know why I play fantasy football. Um, but anyways, but I, I think the really main point here, the conviction that I feel like God has given me for us as a church is that sometimes we can so easily slip into viewing church just as a religious organization, just about getting things done or just getting through it um, or just doing what's expected of me. You know, we can so focus on a religious organization, and the church is, and I'm not trying to say that you know, events or activities or these things aren't needed. It, church is an organization. You can't get beyond that fact. But at the same time, church is more than just an, a, a religious organization. It can be a place where God's very presence is here among us. And this is why I think it's so important to think about and to reflect on this biblical theme of temple, that we can be God's presence as a church. I think that's, again, simply amazing. It's profound that you and I, all of us together, are being built by God into a dwelling place for God's spirit, for his presence. And even in the midst of COVID, the pandemic, even in the midst of social unrest, or even this upcoming election, I feel like God can still use us and work in us as a church. We can join in his work to build us as a place of God's presence by still even meeting together over Zoom or in person in smaller groups. Now, I know that you know, Zoom is not the greatest medium, but I, th- I still feel that God can still use Zoom. And there have been times where I felt his presence, even as I met with people, even in some of the breakout rooms, as we shared and prayed for each other in these smaller groups over Zoom. Or maybe even at a smaller scale, just calling or texting somebody, seeing how they're doing, you know, asking if you could pray for them or they could pray for you, just even connecting one-on-one in these ways, even if we can't see each other in person. Or also just even prayerfully asking God, what has God given me during this time that I can give to others? That something as simple as that, that God can use us to bring God's presence 
into other people's lives. And even as we come together, even online, that God can use those moments for us to encounter and experience God's presence together. And so i just like to end, actually, with um, some, a story that actually Pastor Frank shared with the elders and staff over email. Um, it's an excerpt from David Platt's book, Something Needs to Change. And uh, in this excerpt, David Platt is recounting a visit that he had with a, a church uh, in the Himalayas. Um, and uh, this, this excerpt, her story, is, is kind of long, but, you know, just like us to think about what is church and how do we view church, even as I read this excerpt for us. So humbled, I see teeny lights in the distance, slowly making their way up the trail. I think about the stress people in our culture sometimes have over a 15-minute or longer drive to church. How about a two-hour hike up a narrow mountainside in the freezing cold, followed by a two-hour hike back down the same mountainside in the pitch-black darkness after the service? When we get to the church, the owner of the house greets us with a warm smile. She motions for us to sit in, seats of, in the seats of honor, either on or right next to the bed. So soon others arrive, and we're shocked to see who has climbed the mountain to come to church. It's not just the youth and the healthy. Every age is present, even babies to grandparents. One by one, they start to cram in, and cram is the right word. By the time everyone arrives, I count more than 50 people sitting on the bed, on the floor, or on top of each other. They will sit in the most uncomfortable positions with smiles on their faces for the next two hours. They will sing, clap, pray, and listen intently as I share from Scripture. It is not until I finish, however, that I am most encouraged. After our time in God's Word, they begin to share their needs with one another. One older woman in the corner of the room mentions a physical challenge she is facing, and a woman on the other side of the room offers to help take care of her. A young man tells of someone he recently shared the gospel with is now persecuting him, threatening to harm his family. In response, an older man shares how the same thing happened to him, prompting the pastor to encourage them both on, their own, on his own experience and persecution. That leads a, uh, to a couple who tells how they shared the gospel with another family and how that family believed in Jesus. They're now thinking about starting a new church in that family's home in a nearby village. As I watch what is happening in this room and listen to the conversations between brothers and sisters in the family of God, it hits me. This is it. This is what the village, villages and the people in them need most. Absolutely, they need the gospel. Without question, they need to hear the good news of God's grace that gives them eternal life. But they need more than that too. They need community, the kind of community that treks for two hours, not just to worship with one another, but to care for and encourage one another. The kind of community that takes responsibility for each other's physical needs. They need brothers and sisters who provide for one another as family and love one another as themselves. And these villages need a community of men and women who will take great personal risk to share the greatest news in the world with people who have never heard it. It's surprisingly simple when you think about it. Not easy, but simple. This church has so little things 
you and I think about when it comes to church in our culture. They don't have a nice building. They don't have a great band. They don't have a charismatic preacher. They don't have any programs. They just have each other, God's word in front of them, and God's spirit among them. And apparently, that's enough. So I share this story to end with just so that we could think about and reflect on what is church to us. Is it just a religious organization that we attend on a weekly basis that we may give some of our money to? Or is it something more than that? Something that even over YouTube Premiere or Zoom or anything else that we can still connect together and be God's presence together as a church. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for all of us um, that you would continue to work in our hearts as a church, that we could see that your church could be so much more than what we see even now. And God, I specifically pray for all the people that have been hurt in the past by their experiences with churches in the past or even their experiences here at Harvest. God, may you work in our hearts to see beyond the brokenness of human sin, beyond the disappointments and the frustrations that we see every day. And God, may we see you and that you are working in us to build a church that can be your very presence for this world and for us. And so God, I just pray that you would do this work because we can't do this on our own. And God, may you continue to help us grow as your temple, as living stones built together as a spiritual house for your glory. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.